Hi everyone, this is Lynn Vartan, Director of Apex Events at SEU and the host of the Apex Hour, Thursdays at 3 p.m. here on Thunder 91.1. This week's live Apex event features scientist and YouTube sensation Emily Grassley, and it will be Thursday at 11.30 a.m. in the Great Hall. This event is free and open to the public, and if you're hungry for more, check out the Apex Hour every Thursday at 3 p.m. right here on Thunder 91.1. All right. Well, welcome, everyone. Uh, this is Lynn Vartan, and you are listening to the Apex Hour. And this is KSUU Thunder 91.1. Um, today in the theater, we are so excited that we have Emily Grassley, yay, who totally made an awesome impression at our live event this morning. But we are thrilled to have her in the house talking with us for this hour. Welcome, Emily. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was great. We've been working you pretty hard today. You like got here and you like did your show and then we had a lunch hour and now you went and learned about our natural history museum mm -hmm. and now here you are with me and you're going to spend some time with our K through 12 teachers so thank you so much first for the generosity of your time and everything oh it's my pleasure I absolutely love it thank cool. you well I want to start by kind of spending this first bit talking about how you came to be who you are today, which mm -hmm. is such a great story. And I know you talked a little bit about it earlier, but if you could kind of give us another version of that painter turned scientist story, I would love to hear it. Yeah, so I won't go into all of the details, but essentially I, I was uh, studying landscape painting at the University of Montana in Missoula. Um, I enrolled in 2007, and for the first about three years that I was there was really heavily focused on landscape painting um, as, my, as my source of inspiration and what I was going to do my senior thesis project on for my BFA. And it wasn't until I learned about the campus zoological museum um, which is known as the Philip L. Wright Zoological Museum, that I really t started to turn my attention toward um, why these uh, um, museums exist, why these research collections are uh, a part of a campus like that, who they serve, uh, what their role is, and then uh, how I could become involved. And so essentially I turned my last semester of college into an internship where I could uh, draw the specimens within the collection and then just gradually became more and more involved in the day-to-day -day operations of the museum, learning about uh, how the specimens were cataloged and organized, but also how, how we obtained them, you know, what research projects they were associated with. And then I was volunteering in the preparation lab to actually help process and prepare some of these specimens for the research collection, which um, was a pretty interesting experience going from, you know, just la uh, landscape painting to, you know, dissecting roadkill for Montana Fish, Wildlife and Parks. So, so <laughs> did it ever gross you out? Because I mean, I know some people, I mean, you came from a painting background. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's the because I know you also has grew up on a farm or near farmland that kind of, did it ever gross you out? I think it's just been more of like a morbid fascination more than anything, um, especially when, you know, a lot of the, the gross out factor associated with things like specimen preparation, it's more of like a cultural um, mm. stigma than it is like a, a natural thing. So, so what we've learned through the program that I do now, my YouTube show, The Brain Scoop, is actually the younger the viewers are, the less bias they have toward these sort of things. It's, it's more of like a cultural and societal um, pressure that we put on on kids, girls especially, once they're you know past the age of eight or nine, to really uh, enforce that gross factor. Ooh, don't touch that, or that's right. nasty. Like a lot of that natural inquisitiveness is kind of stifled, and so um, you know, once I started learning about the value of of these research collections and how I could contribute to growing them and making. Um, a, having a small role in a significant scientific discovery, um, it just, I mean, yeah, sometimes it smells kind of bad and you're dealing with like gross hydrogen peroxide and and dealing with roadkill. But right. yeah, if you can get it beside all those things, yeah. it's really, truly it's an interesting fine. experience. <laughs> yeah. I mean, did you did you learn the process? I mean, I didn't mean to initially start talking about dissection so much, <laughs> but I'm kind of fascinated by it as the day goes on. Did you have to learn like the exact procedures? Because it's a very, I mean, it's very step by step, right? Or 
I mean, how did all that knowledge come? Did somebody show you? Did you read it? How, how sort of, yeah. So, so I started volunteering in this museum after I did my internship. I I graduated from college and I kept volunteering in the museum. Um, and it was a friend of mine who who introduced me to the collection who. Uh, was actually one of the first people to to help train me in specimen preparation. And it happened because the day she showed me to this research collection, which I should also clarify, like this, this museum does not have public exhibits. It's purely behind the scenes, uh, 24,000 specimens, mostly northern Rocky, Ma- uh, Rocky Mountain mammals and birds and... Um, and so there was a number of like Montana natural heritage projects and fish and wildlife projects that they would collect voucher specimens and then deposit them in this museum for preparation and volunteers who were in part of the wildlife bio programs or the ecology programs at the University of Montana would help prepare them. And so she was one of these volunteers in the prep lab and she brought me in and uh, we walked into the prep lab and she handed me this Ziploc bag that had like a soggy mouse in it, this <laughs> yes, dead mouse. Right. The with, mouse story. <laughs> the mouse story with um, with this label, this informational label about where it was collected um, when, what time of year, what the habitat was like, the sex of the animal. Um, and this was all part of like a, a larger study, uh, looking at the distribution of rodents across Western Montana to see at what point of elevation they were occurring. And if that, that point of elevation was changing, were they going higher, you know, due to climate change impacting the, the average median or average temperatures of, of the Northern Rocky Mountains. So anyway, she hands me this this uh, Western jumping mouse, Zappus princeps is the scientific name. Wow. And she, she asked, do you want to prepare this? And I said, oh, oh no, 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 no. I, Emily Menigan, you know me. I, I, I deal with paintbrushes. Like, I'm, this is not my thing. And she's like, no, I'll teach you how to do it. She's like, is, you know, did you ever take home ec in, in middle school? And I was like, yeah. She's like, you know, you do a sewing project where you stitch things together. And I was like, yeah. She's like, yeah, it's the same thing. And I was like, oh. That remains to be seen, yeah, but we'll okay. See about that. But but she walked me through the process of making the first incision and separating the skin from the muscle tissue and removing um, the limb bones in a specific order. And and you know, after about thirty minutes, I had I had skinned this mammal and had um, the body separated from the rest of it from its hide. And then you create a little armature out of cotton and wire and uh, little small dowels. And essentially put that back inside of the body and then you pin it onto a board and it's called, it's called a study skin. So it's not meant to look like a live taxidermy animal like it was in life, but it, now it's a research specimen. And that to me, the most important part of that whole process was that I, I got to sign my name on the label for this specimen uh, as a source of accountability, mostly if yeah. a, a scientist in the future was going to look at this mouse and be like, this thing is prepared really weird. Who's responsible for this? Yeah. Emily Grassley, I'll you know, <laughs> curse your name. But to me, it was almost like I, I felt a stronger sense of gratification signing my name on that mouse than I ever had signing my name on a piece of artwork. No way. It's fascinating. It was, it was overwhelming. And I think it's because I mean, the seemingly inconsequential mouse was going to be part of a larger history. It was going to be bigger than myself. It's part of a, a research project that's been going on for decades. You know, I contributed to science. And it wasn't just, it was this whole, like, um, kind of existential moment for me where I was like, art just seems so selfish and self, you know, interested. And yet here was a way I felt like I could make some kind of tiny positive contribution to my community. I could be a part of the history of Western Montana. And this all, you know, from a dead mouse, like <laughs> it was really an that interesting. That came from a Ziploc bag. That came from a Ziploc bag, you know, and and it was really a moment of revelation for me because I went home that night and I didn't tell anybody what I had done. I I, I don't think I talked to any of my friends for a week because I I thought for sure I was a so like a sociopath or like sociopath or yeah. something like a psychopath. Yeah. Like what kind of person is so fascinated in like taking an animal inside out? And so I really didn't want to talk about it for a long time and and um, started just you know continuing to volunteer in the museum and becoming more and more interested in it. And that's partially why I started documenting the process is almost like seeking validation from anybody right like my friends or family and they're like emily that's weird like we don't want to see your your dead animal pictures on our facebook and so instead i started posting them on tumblr and um which was a blog site i don't know if people still use tumblr today but i had started a blog after that uh documenting not just the preparation process but 
a lot of the artwork I was creating in the museum and some of the other projects we were doing. And I, I found an online community. Like I found a digital community of other museum volunteers or other art majors who wanted to find their own museum collection to volunteer in, or even people who were, you know, amateur taxidermists who wanted to help bring some of these animals back to life. And so um, I, I built up a following of about 10,000 people who started regularly reading my blog about the museum. And eventually that, that blog helped uh, to, to develop the web series that I have now with the Field Museum in Chicago. Yeah, that is amazing. That that moment that you discussed with the the changeover and feeling about putting your name on it. Do you do you find it to be an artistic project process? Or do you feel that it's different than the artistic process? Well, I would say creating study skins. um, It helps if you have a background in art. I think, uh, you know, if you ask it, any or look at any of the volunteers or interns that we have at the field museum specifically, a number of them have backgrounds in art. And I think it's a lot of that has to do with hand-eye coordination, right? Like attention to detail. Right. Um, I ended up teaching or being the TA for the vertebrate osteology class for graduate students at the University of Montana for a semester because as an art major, you're taught to hone your observation skills. And so when you're teaching graduate archaeology students how to differentiate certain kinds of animal bones, whether they're trying to identify them from a faunal assemblage of, you know, a native tribe that lived in that area 10,000 years ago, or if it's sometimes we would work with the Montana crime lab Mm -hmm. and the police department and they would find a bare bone or someone would bring them a limb bone and they in the fine in the middle of the woods and sometimes these hikers would think like i think this is a human arm or did this belong to a child or something and so they'd take it to our comparative collection and i got to work with the montana crime lab to as a like a forensic osteologist to help them identify where this animal was coming from and we never had a a human it was always like a ham bone or a bear bone or something like that but um but I, i was able to do that because of my background in art um and being able to understand the you know, morphological differences or the shape or the size differences between different vertebrate species. That's amazing. That's fascinating. I love it. Okay, cool. So you got to kind of be like a forensic scientist in a way also, like a sleuth. Yeah, kind of, you know, and and I was mostly just a facilitator. I I was working with the curator of the museum at the time, Dave Dyer, who was, you know, really had the background in um, mammalogy and osteology, but he taught me a lot. And, and, um, you know, it was really fun to look at some of these cases and he would put out quizzes and, you know, kind of test your knowledge. And it it was a really uh, fun game, but it was also, you know, had important um, educational implications to it as well. That's so interesting. I know that also, um, in you know, the dissection of animals used to be a requirement in a lot of school programs and then sort of went away and maybe is bad. How do you feel about that it being in schools now? Do you think that's a really important part of the, the science pedagogy? Well, I think it depends on the learner. Uh, ultimately, it depends on, um, who it is you're working with as a student. I know for myself personally, had I had more opportunities to do more hands-on learning experience, uh, experiments when I was in middle and high school, I might have felt a little bit more empowered to think that, oh, I, science is something that I can do or or I can use my observational skills in this way. Whereas in my educational background growing up in Rapid City, South Dakota, you know, we just it, a lot of it just immediately went to like standardized tests and, right. and uh, no, you know, naming diagrams and um, it really took a lot of the creativity out of it from my perspective. So um, I think there's a true value in, in getting kids to be hands-on, especially when it comes to things like that gross out stigma sort of thing. Yeah. Like if you can perpetuate a culture of curiosity and inquisitiveness rather than one that is just um, wanting to, uh, you know, make, things from the natural world seem as though they're other or foreign or alien or bad or gross or weird, you know, anything that just fosters the, the genuine uh, question asking and answering, seeking motivations behind it, I think is worth supporting. All right. Well, that's a little bit about your backstory. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a little musical break and when we come back, we'll talk a little more about Brain Scoop, the awesome web show that you have and also your work at the Field Museum. So, you know me on this show, I like to introduce you to different music. The first song we're going to listen to is called Eye to Eye and it's by Jordan Raquet on the album Wallflower. And you are listening to KSUU Thunder 91.1. Thank you. 
It's the birth of a star Earlier than sunset It's the galaxy's water Flowing like a riverbed It's the rain, oh the rain Drown upon the summer day Grown into a supernova Back to where we used to play It's an infinity As it feasts on time Cause it constantly leaves Perpetual design Cause we worship the key The tide is going out now As we look out to sea Legs sprawled and head down Yes, they shine bright like a million Let them bleed twice for a minute Pleasure to have met you You must start tonight To have felt this oh sublime Like a grain of sand traveling through time Pleasure to have met you You must start tonight Yes, they shine bright like a million Let them bleed twice for a minute Pleasure to have met you You must start tonight To have felt this oh sublime Like a grain of sand traveling through time Pleasure to have met you You must start tonight Well, welcome back. In the background there is just the tail end of the song Eye to Eye by Jordan Riquet on the album Wallflower. This is Lynn Vartan, and you're back on Thunder 91.1, listening to the Apex Hour, where today we have Emily Grassley joining us in the studio. So welcome back. Thanks. And I'd like to turn our discussion to the brain scoop. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about how it got started? I know you talked this morning, but just for anybody who's listening to just a quick bit of how it kind of got started and then the transfer over to Chicago. Yeah. So um, after I started this blog uh, where I was posting kind of our day-to-day work on, on about the zoological museum at the university of Montana, um, I ended up meeting uh, this man named Hank Green and he's a, probably best known for being half of the YouTube series vlog brothers. He and his brother, John green, or they've been making videos on YouTube for well over 10 years now. And super famous. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous to try and summarize like everything they do because they're such important roles in like the internet education and just like positive support network community online. Um, but anyway, Hank 
happened to live in Missoula, Montana, where I was living at the same time. And we ended up getting connected because he was launching a new educational series called Crash Course, and they were doing a video about the vertebrate skeleton. So it made a lot of sense for him to come. Actually, he reached out to see if he could come film it in the collection I was volunteering in. And I was over the moon. I was so excited. And so that's how I met Hank. And he and I kind of talked on and off over a couple of months. And eventually, he came back to the museum and sort of long story short, I gave him a tour of the collection, which he uploaded on their Vlogbrothers channel. You can still watch it today. It's called, um, oh, shoot, what is that video called? Uh, <laughs> Thoughts from Dead Animals. That's, That's what it's great. called. It's a Thoughts from Places. They do this series called Thoughts from Places, and this was Thoughts from the Museum, so he called it Thoughts from Dead Animals. But anyway, you know, the the response to it was so overwhelming. It's nothing like I'd ever seen. I mean... In a couple of days, it had been watched a quarter of a million times, and the overwhelming majority of comments on the video were just like, you know, we want to see more of Emily, and we want to see more of the museum, and you should give Emily her own channel. And so just a couple of days later, he, he emailed me, and um, I'll never forget getting that email because yeah. it uh, he just basically said, well, people like this. I'm, would you want to be – would you want to have your own YouTube channel? I'd help you get it started. And I was – completely blown away because at that time I you know I was un recently unemployed like mm -hmm. didn't really wasn't the art thing wasn't going super well for me and um <laughs> I was just kind of trying to get into like a master's museum studies program and figure out what I wanted to do and this was a I thought a great opportunity I had no expectation for what would happen with it had so, you ever been on the radio or tv or performed I mean I know you played the violin mm -hmm. but had you ever done any of that kind of thing like been on mic before well not not to that degree no i mean i took children's theater you know <laughs> and i did some drama performances in high school but i was also like a nerdy kid with a mouthful of braces so after like i mostly like ran the lights because i couldn't enunciate on stage at all and um i had done some like promo video stuff from the museum but like never really was coached in it you know and um, and, and so Hank came to me and he's like, well, you know, I'll, you can work with one of our producers, Michael Aranda, and we'll get you started with some basic equipment. But bas then he left the country for a month to go on tour with his brother, John, to promote the fault in our stars. So right. that John's, you know, young adult author. Mm -hmm. And so Hank just kind of left me and Michael and left us to our own devices. And when he got back, like our channel had just blown up. That's amazing. So, to what do you attribute? I mean, you're so comfortable and so charismatic on screen, on mic. Is I mean, is it just the passion for your subject? Is it just the curiosity? To what do you attribute it? Well, I would say the passion and the curiosity, certainly, but like that has to be fostered. And just the vote of confidence from somebody like Hank Green, like someone who has done this, who has been doing this, who has like founded and established educational programs that had millions of subscribers. And he and his brother some were then and are still now some of the best known names in like online education for that person to just email you after knowing you for a week and say like, I think you'd be good at this. And just knowing that they probably don't tell other people that every day. Yeah. It was like, you know, after I'm a big Hamilton fan now, but it's sort of one of those things where you're like, I'm not throwing away my shot. Yeah, <laughs> and I just awesome. decided, like, I don't know where this is going to go, but I know I'm not going to, like, just half-ass it. So yeah. <laughs> we went. I just gave it my all and um, and just and kind of went for it. It sounds like you are that way as a person, though. I mean, when you do something, you go all in. Like, you're not just going to volunteer in a museum and bide your time. You're going to try to organize the collection. And I mean, that, that kind of go-gettedness must also be intrinsically in you. I do have a lot of grit. And and that was definitely the case when, with me and my art program. Like, you know, you're supposed to start working on your senior thesis painting before you're spring semester right and and I was already conceptualizing what I wanted to do like the summer before my senior year and so you know I, I've just always um I've just always had a lot of pride in being a hard worker like when I was in high school I got my first job when I was 14 and yeah, so I've always worked hard and I, I've, always, I've always put in the hours but to me like that's what's so gratifying about it is knowing that you really have done your best and and put your best foot forward and um, so working on a YouTube channel that had an audience that had potential that was going to help me bring this museum that I'd already spent two years trying to bring to the public just was like, I'm going to go for it. I love it. That's awesome. 
Um, so now, it, well, before before I get to Chicago, it, for anybody who may be listening and not familiar with the brain scoop, how would you describe how would you describe the brain scoop in like two sentences if you had to? <laughs> the brain scoop uh, is an educational YouTube channel that aims to share the behind the scenes work and collections and research with anybody with the world. So perfect. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's great. Well, and of course, for those of you who may be interested and not familiar with it, just Google it and you can find tons and tons of videos in a wide variety of different types of subjects and different angles, different locations. And we can Mm -hmm. get into that too. So now the Brains Group is housed, the Brain Scoop is housed in Chicago in the Field Museum. Mm -hmm. And um, tell me about what life is like there. Yeah, so we'd been doing the Brain Scoop for a couple of months before we started to receive quite a bit of like media attention. So we'd been written about by NPR, um, Scientific American. There was like a note in a on a blog from Nat Geographic. Like it was incredible for me. And, and eventually we gained the attention of the Field Museum in Chicago. And I got invited out to kind of do some videos with them. And after a couple of days, they just sat me down in this conference room and basically said, like, we'd like to bring you on board here and and bring your channel with you. And that was amazing to me as someone who just aspired to work in a museum someday in any capacity to have this new position created for me. I mean, I have the job title now as chief curiosity correspondent. So um, that was an amazing experience. And so we brought the brain scoop uh, to the field museum in July of 2013. And I've been there ever since. So about four and a half years now. That's so cool. Yeah. What's a typical day in the life like for you? <laughs> well, to be honest, a typical day is not that exciting um, because usually <laughs> – I don't believe it. <laughs> well, it's a lot of like – there's so much planning involved um, and there's so much like production timelines and scheduling and like there is quite a bit of paperwork and budgeting and, you know, the, that kind of back end stuff. But But the really special days are when we get to go out in the field or when we get to interview scientists. And so uh, just a couple weeks ago, we uh, ended up filming in Berlin, Germany at the Museum of Natural History there. And so that was three months of planning and Mm -hmm. and organizing and everything. But once we're there, I mean, I got to... you know, got to see one of the best, most iconic fossils of all time, the Archaeopteryx specimen, which is most of the oh, wow. the famous, most of the, it was, it's the transitional species between birds and dinosaurs. Like it oh, is wow. a famous, famous fossil. Um, I got to be in the historic bird collection at the museum there. And the Museum for Natakunda um, was established in 1814. So this museum is over 200 years old and has endured two world wars. So is it you know, one of the oldest? It must be. It's one of the oldest collections. Yeah. And and certainly, you know, the building itself was built in like the 1880s. Um, but a day like that is just like you're, you're looking at specimens in a collection that are simultaneously like scientifically important but also like witnesses to history like the whole eastern wing of this building was completely destroyed by allied bombing in 1945 and so you're standing in like a reconstructed wing of this institution and just thinking about those decades and centuries of history and yeah i mean those are the kind of moments that i really live for and it doesn't matter that I had to spend three months of like paperwork and figuring out import permits for camera equipment or whatever else. Like, you know, once you're there, you really, um, I try to appreciate those moments. Sounds pretty magical. It's, it's pretty neat. Cool. Well, it's time for another musical break. When we come back, I'd like to talk about, I know that you're really passionate about women in, in STEM, women in science and, and sort of talk about some of those issues, some of maybe the activist side of things and, Mm -hmm. and education and curiosity. And so stay tuned for those. In the meantime, um, the next piece that I'd like to show you is a piece called Nomada and that's by Kalima and it's on the album Nomada and you are listening to the Apex Hour on Thunder 91.1 KSUU.
Okay, welcome back. This is the Apex Hour, KSCU Thunder 91.1. My name is Lynn Vartan, and in the studio with me today is Emily Grassley. Welcome back. Hey, thanks. And so for this chunk, I'd love to talk about some of the platforms that, that you find yourself passionate about in terms of um, science, feminism, education, curiosity, topics such as that. I know that you feel very strongly about women in science and science role models, um, new emerging role models for women in science. Can you talk about your feelings about that and, and things that interest you with that topic? Yeah, this is, um, that's an interesting one to go off of. Um, and I kind of like to tell this story, um, that, you know, when I was growing up, I was absolutely a public broadcast fanatic. I mean, pretty limited to the kind of stations we got in South Dakota, not going to lie, but like I was a PBS kid for sure. And so, um, I loved, you know, Mr. Rogers and, um, and Bill Nye and the Nova specials with Neil deGrasse Tyson. And, um, there was kind of like a, a common theme, you know, among all of those that most of the science role models that I had growing up were, were men. In fact, all of the nature documentary hosts, David Attenborough, um, the, um, Steve Irwin, all of them just, you know, great presenters yeah. and, and science communicators. But, um, my one true, uh, um, uh, role model was Miss Frizzle of the Magic School Bus. It's like I, I was a, a total Magic School Bus nerd. And oh. so when I was in seventh grade, my mom had the opportunity to take us to San Francisco on a business trip. And so she had asked us if we'd want to go see Lily Tomlin, who's the voice actor of Miss Frizzle. Mm -hmm. And uh, Lily Tomlin, as many people know, is a very famous mm -hmm. stand-up comedian. And mm -hmm. so I was over the moon thinking like, oh, we're going to go hear Miss Frizzle. So I don't know what my mom was really thinking, but she takes us to this comedy club. Like I'm in seventh grade. I'm too young for this, like very sleepy at this point. But she takes us to this comedy club at like 10 at night on a Tuesday. And we're halfway through the program. And I'm just very confused by all this adult humor. And, I, you know, we ended up leaving at intermission or something. And, and it, it took me years to figure out like why I felt so so disappointed about that. And it was one of those things where I'm like, oh, I'm an idiot. Like I'm upset because I, I thought she was going to talk about the magic school bus, but clearly she's not. And that makes sense. She's a comedian, but you know, and so it was one of these like moments where I, I kind of grew up and was a little bit disappointed because I realized like my one female science role model, like was a fictitious character and that's kind of disappointing. So, mm -hmm. it, and I thought about that a lot when Hank first approached me to create an educational YouTube channel because I, at that point, this was back in end of 2012. And I went online to see like, well, how many women are there who have educational science channels? And there was one. There's one who I could find that had a math channel and she's still creating content today. Her, her name's Vihart and um, she's incredibly talented, but it was also, that was one of the reasons I decided to do this in the first place was, well, if I can make a positive contribution as somebody who's not a scientist, but who can show that learning is for everybody and you don't have to be a scientist or you don't have to have a degree, a degree in this to care about it or to have an interest in it, then maybe I can help influence other people who might not um, feel as though like math or science is quote for them. Um, and so, so that was kind of one of the reasons I decided to do it in the first place. And since then, um, I have learned a lot about the challenges of not just being a woman, but being a minority or non-gender conforming or LGBT person, like in the sciences and in academia. And um, one thing I've realized is that these problems don't go away if you don't talk about them. And so I've been really fortunate with support from the Field Museum to to talk about some of these. And I've been on the Field Museum Women in Science Steering Committee for the last four and a half years. You know, I'm actively trying to um, bring attention to these topics. And so, uh, it, yeah, it's been an important part of our platform. I, I really like, you know, how you handled some of the bad comments and and we talked about that a little bit earlier today and how inspiring that is to get the conversation out there you know to to make sure that everybody is aware how hurtful things can be and also how you can move past this kind of thing i mean it's a great message to get across yeah so really one of the things um that moved us in this kind of direction not i wouldn't necessarily call it activism but just you know, starting the conversation is that we created a video back in 2013 called Where My Ladies At, where I talked about, you know, the, the kind of harassment that I receive um, as a female creator online, 
the inappropriate comments, the threats off, oftentimes. It's um, a crazy. It's yeah, amazing. I mean, it, it, it is. And, it, it, you know, with the, pro- the reason I wanted to make a video about it is because I, I internalized a lot of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like I didn't want to bring it up and I just, it was becoming increasingly more uncomfortable. And so I asked my boss at the time, like, can I do a video about this? Because simultaneously, I was getting dozens and dozens of messages from young people who said, I want to have my own science channel, but I see all the harassment of people online and, and I don't really want to deal with that. So how do you deal with it? And honestly, it just wasn't being very honest with them to say like, well, I'm not dealing with it, right? Because right. I'm not actually talking about it. I'm not doing anything about it. So we did that video where my lady's at and um, it became incredibly popular. It was kind of our first viral hit. You know, it was viewed about 750,000 times in a day. So just uh, written about in all different media outlets all over the world. And um, that was kind of eye-opening for me too. Cause on the one hand it was cathartic, but on the other hand I was like, why is this news? Yeah. Like, right. But I realized like a lot of these journalists were saying like, wow, you know, we haven't really taken the harassment of people online very seriously. And now, I mean, it's it's part of people's uh, political campaigns saying that like, I'm going to stand up against internet bullying. And so to know that this conversation is continuing to happen and that people are taking it seriously, and more importantly, that resources are being made available to people who are experiencing harassment online, who are being doxxed, you know, who, whose information, public information or personal information is being made public. Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't something that just happens to people outside of education. It happens to anybody online. Yeah, that's I'm just so glad that you did that. And I think it's really brave and super cool and just takes a lot. It must have been very difficult, but I'm so glad that you did. Thanks. What about your passion for curiosity and inquisitiveness and trying to bring that out in students and in education? What advice do you have or thoughts do you have about that? I know it's an important topic for you and I'm super passionate about it too. How do we help increase the level or or encourage inquisitiveness and curiosity? Yeah, you know, it, that's an interesting one. And, and sometimes I get that question almost as like a like a backhanded question. People will say like kids these days, you know, <laughs> like like everybody's on their iPhone and we can't get them interested in, a, in being outside because all they want to look at are, are their devices. And, you know, you kind of walk back and think like whose responsibility is it, right? Yeah. It's really the responsibility of the parents, of the of the family members, of the friends, of the teachers. I mean, it, it's really on the adults who can help kind of control and direct the conversations to help facilitate some of that inquisitiveness. So I think about the opportunities that you have to take kids outside and and don't demonize the smartphone, right? Like there are terrific apps out there, like the iNaturalist app, where this is a citizen science sort of crowdfunding app where um, where wherever you are in the world, if you see an interesting bird or insect or or mammal, take a picture of it and you can upload it onto this app and a scientist, a verified expert will identify it. And if you put the geographic location of it, like they, the, there are major cities like in Chicago and in California that are doing this as a concerted effort to get the public involved with documenting biodiversity in your own backyard or in a state or national park. And so I really think like taking advantage of the technologies that exist right now, but also like helping to inspire, you know, Go outside and take the technology with you, and here's how you can become involved. And uh, I think I think there are so many opportunities like that online. Oh my gosh, what is the name of that app? iNaturalist. It's called iNaturalist. Yeah, and it's run out of the California Academy of Sciences. And I've been using this app for years. It's absolutely wonderful. And there, I mean, scientists can publish papers based off of observations from citizens, right? Well, you were just talking about one of the birds that you saw outside of the lecture hall this morning. Yeah, and I was. Th- you know, I didn't know what it was, but we could probably take a picture and put it in there and find out. Yeah, we could have. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So, so it's a really interesting way where, you know, you look around the world around you and you might see an animal and you'd be like, Oh, I don't know what that is, but like, take a picture of it. You can find out what it is. And then I guarantee anytime you see that animal from now on, you're like, I know, I know what that is. I know what it eats. I know why it's here. And to me, that, that just makes like you, you, you kind of make friends, you know? Yeah. (laughs) I love it. Oh my gosh. I'm totally downloading it. 
I have one more musical piece that I've been itching to play for you. And then when we come back, our last little time together, we're going to do what is fastly turning into everybody's favorite segment, which is what is turning you on right now. Hmm. So we'll talk about books, movies, TV, whatever you want that's like really making you excited. But in the meantime, we're going to hear our last piece of music. Um, this is a group that has only one um, album out. And it's just newly out. And the album is called Grand Tapestry. And the group is called Grand Tapestry tapestry and it's this really interesting blend of world music and rap the song you're going to hear is called atma and you are listening to ksu thunder 91.1 come from the center of the chest to bless the world heartbeat battling and making a bed to curl up consequence to never dance is this you gotta move the spirit to get the people to near it i fear it not Never been afraid, the personality is brave You can never catch me or put me in a cave I will never be the one to bury in the grave Put me in a rocket ship and put me in a space Music is the way to God I would like to think I'm odd Heady like a nigga by I'm a thinker man, I think a lot Many, many, many men Pass away in innocence Not really making any sense But these are the main events I will not run away I can be anything Manifest pathways Walk along, make it rain That don't mesh, Mother Earth knows this No closeness business in my family vicinity I keep it in focus Trinity, divinity, eliminating always Thought takes this hatred, vacate No resentment in the tenements of this old cavity I carry out in the basement Experimental, external, infernal, internal minerals And a through ear grab Fear mongering, wandering, parasites drowning The sound washed up on a shoreline You're mine, my mind, one shoreline, one core line Reaching to the heavens up Universal Valentine, one heart, one love, one tongue, one intellect inside God is a God body with the God hand Reaching out like the Godfather with the broadband All time, space, all Land, all mankind, all landlines, rigging at the same pitch, digging in the same ditch while we cling to our pain pictures and remain sick, tainted, paint fists on the walls of the brain cells that you got left after taxation, anxiety and chemical abrasion, this melody, the enemy of all cavemen, dwelling in the dark, read the spelling on the back of the arc, this art will attract light, like breath to a backpipe, battery to a mag light, buckle down, hold tight, light of a lifetime, line after line, rhyme after rhyme, sign that the time is now upon us, not upon a repaller, we the kings and the callers, we the queens and the ballers, we the Played in hollow, in my direction with solace, meditative and hollow, filled with universe. Power. Okay, this is Lynn Bartan back, and this is the Apex Hour here on Thunder 91.1 KSUU. That song was called Atma, and that group I'm just so interested in and so passionate about. The group is called Grand Tapestry, and that album is called Grand Tapestry. Totally check them out. It's a rapper and a tabla player, which are the South Indian drums that are indicative of their folk music, and then a sitar player. It's super cool. Anyway, in the studio with us is Emily Grassley for our last few minutes together, which is, again, turning into everyone's favorite segment. And I would like to know what's turning you on right now. Books, movies, TV, whatever you want. What turn? What's exciting to you right now? <laughs> Nonfiction, always. Um, so Planet Earth 2 was released. Uh, the documentary series yes. was released a yes. couple months ago. Um 
in uh, the UK and just recently came out here in the US. And I've always been a David Attenborough documentary nerd, but like, I cannot emphasize enough how amazing the cinematography of this thing is. I mean, it's it's utterly mind-blowing. In the fact that these documentary crews are going down to like extreme depths of the ocean with like high-definition cameras and like making new scientific observations and that take years to do. Like these pro- programs are years and years of filming. It's just like it's the pinnacle of documentary filmmaking. We watched we watched part of it and this one I think has a really interesting segment if I'm remembering right with the flamingos. Yeah. Oh, it's fast. It's just gorgeous. And they're just all huddled in this very tiny, shallow water in a vast desert land. It's really, I, I love yeah. it. So gorgeous. Yeah. So I've been nerding out about, uh, over the uh, planet Earth, too, and also the blue planet, too. Oh, cool. That's co- great. Come out recently. Great yeah. recommendations. Yeah. And can you tell us a little bit about some of the books or at least how you're getting some of the books? We were just talking that you, you get quite a few books <laughs> in the mail, I hear. Yeah. One of the big perks of my job is that um, when you have a, a, a role, I guess, as a science communicator and somewhat of an audience, you tend to get a lot of like um, advanced copies of books that haven't yet been released to the public. And so um, that's always really interesting to kind of get your hands on new things. So I just got a copy of Carl Zimmer's uh, book, She Has Her Mother's Laugh, which is supposed to come out in June this year. And Beautiful title. Yeah. Oh, God. It's all about genetics and um, inherited traits. And I'm about 100 pages into it. This book is over 500 pages long, and it is absolutely effortless to read. I mean, it's Carl Zimmer is one of my favorite science writers. He usually writes for the New York Times, and he's published a number of fantastic books. But this is really, um, it's been really enjoyable for me to read as someone who never thought that I really cared that much about genetics. Yeah. Herited traits. And this comes out in June, did you say? Yeah, in June. Okay, so everybody Dunn. can be a, a lookout for it. Yeah. The title again was? She Has Her Mother's Laugh. Oh, my God. I love yeah. that title. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. And I know that you recommend books on Brain Scoop. Do mm-hmm. you have a sort of one favorite book that you could uh, maybe share with us that people could look at? That's a great question. Um, if if you're, if you're a new scientist, I would say if you're um, – trying to think if science is something for you to study, or even if you, you want to know how you can like better participate in the natural world. Uh, Edward Wilson, E.O. Wilson has a fantastic book, um, uh, called letters to a young scientist and you'll read it in an afternoon. It's just a couple hundred pages, um, really quick to get through, but, uh, it's a really great book that kind of imparts some like sage advice almost, but also like practical knowledge. Um, mm-hmm. and that's, that's something that I, I revisit on occasion cause it's a nice refresher to, um, help put a little bit of perspective on like the work that you're doing now and like what you can accomplish in the future. So Ooh, that sounds like a good one. Yeah. Remind me of the title and author again. It's uh, E.O. Wilson, Edward Wilson, and the book is Letters to a Young Scientist. Okay, cool. I'm going to definitely read it. I've been learning so much. And um, one other thing I'd like to ask you is, do you have any memory of really great advice that was given to you? Like, what's the best advice you've ever been given? And oh it doesn't have to be work-related. It could be anything, you know. <laughs> Take your makeup off before bed. I don't know, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, geez, that's a really good one. Um, you know, it, it might sound cheesy, but really, like, trust your gut. I really feel like people – And I don't. I, this might just be, you know, some – fake non-scientific response to something but but i've always um i think listening to your inner voice you know if you ignore it oftentimes i've realized i should have paid attention to it better but the, some of the best decisions i've ever made i just kind of followed a gut instinct so i think that's a great one and with that i think that we'll close our shows so everyone trust your gut you know that's <laughs> that's that's our parting shot for today sure. well as again my uh, my name is lynn vartan this is the apex hour and i'd like to say thank you so much to you emily grassley for being here and being on the show with us today thank you yeah thanks for having me Next week, we're going to have a a bunch of outdoor. We're spending the day next week talking about the outdoors. So we're going to have a couple of our our specialist outdoor people talking about all the different opportunities in and around Southern Utah. So you can find us here again next Thursday on KSUU Thunder 91.1. But until then, this is the Apex Hour saying goodbye for today. Thanks so much for listening to the Apex Hour here on KSUU Thunder 91.1. 
Come find us again next Thursday at 3 p.m. for more conversations with the visiting guests at Southern Utah University and new music to discover for your next playlist. And in the meantime, we would love to see you at our events on campus. To find out more, check out suu.edu slash apex or email us at suuapex at icloud.com. Until next week, this is Lynn Vartan saying goodbye from the Apex Hour here on Thunder 91.1.